1: Uh, I hail from the Northeast, not New York, no, Escondido. I am just up the road, Northeast, uh, and uh, and I am uh, my wife and I uh, attend North Campus, San Marcos, with Pastor Matt McKayla. We sit under their leadership and absolutely love them. They are a huge reason why we have a lot of the things and have the life we have. So very thankful to be here uh, uh, on a little sabbatical from the North today down to the east. And uh, I understand, you know, like the Emerge Junior stuff, like I'm excited, I, you know, to be there maybe in a few years. I, we have our, I'll, I'll tell you in a second, you know, I've got one child at the moment, but, um, well, technically two. Okay, I'm just gonna break it to you guys. We're pregnant with our second child. I totally didn't, didn't think about that transition-wise, but you'll see in a second. You gotta act surprised the second time I do it, okay? And, uh, but I get it, you know, like the camping thing. Like, I, I get it. I'm from one of those other campuses, we don't camp. You know, my camping is like a Ritz-Carlton, like that's the camping I like to do. Uh, yeah, camp every year at Emerge, it's like, I can do this, you know, I can do this. Uh, and RV is as close as I get, so. Uh, but with that said, uh, I got a few life updates I wanna share with you guys. Obviously the first one, we're having a baby baby. I'm not gonna tell you the gender. My wife said, don't say, don't say the gender yet. I was gonna say the gender, but she told me not to, so I didn't hit the nine. But uh, it's one of two, one of two only, just FYI, it's one of two. Yeah, I shouldn't have to say that. Okay. The second thing, a pretty big miracle that happened today, actually. Today is really cool. Um, so, like I said, coming from the Northeast, I forget how far it is to drive here. And, uh, and so I get in my car, I map it. I'm like, okay, 35 minutes, no traffic. That is some, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push it a little bit. Because I don't want to be late. And so I was like, you know, I'll go like 85, 84, you know, it's, it's like, see, I feel some judgment, okay? It's not that fast. And so I'm driving, you know, and then I'm realizing the time's not getting made up. Like, because I'm like, I could totally save seven minutes on a 30 minute car ride. Like, every guy's like, yeah, I could totally make up 10 minutes of a 30 minute drive. <laughs> yeah, if I drive like a lunatic and get a felony. Uh, but I didn't do that. But I was driving, you know, moderately fast. And then, I get up to, like, 86, 87, because I'm like, oh, shoot, I'm, like, really running behind. I get up to, I think, maybe 88, and I'm driving down the 15, about to get on the 52, and I see this cop, and he's got his radar gun, like, pointing at my direction. I'm like, oh, no, I can't get another speeding ticket. My wife's going <laughs> to kill me. And, uh, and so, by the grace of God, I think he made me invisible for, like, a moment, maybe 10 seconds. <laughs> nothing. Like, didn't follow me. No, no, no siren. Nothing. So I think I literally was made invisible for, for about 30 seconds today, which is really cool. I don't know if that have ever happened to you, um, but a pretty cool, pretty cool trick. Um, yeah, pretty cool. Um, so the third miracle, besides the first one, which is the best one, second one, which is another cool one, but the third one was this next picture, if we can throw it up, um, not the ultrasound, because I already shared that, uh, is we just bought uh, our second house two months ago. And, it's, it's like the dream house. It's everything we want. Um, and the reason it's significant is, yeah, it's cool that I got a new house, 100%. Uh, it's a vision builder testimony, which I'm going to share in a second. But the reason it's significant is because I'm 30 years old. I actually, we actually bought the house. It closed on my birthday, which is pretty wild. And eight years ago, I came to this house. I was a total mess, like total mess. If you were to score my life one to 10 in all the different categories of life, I was like maybe a one, maybe a two, possibly a three. But finances, I was like a negative three. Thank you, credit cards. I was given, uh, well, I wasn't given, I took, I had this $100,000 saved up that my my grandparents, great-grandparents, like had saved up for me, like great grandparents that came over from Russia, immigrated to the US, like saved up this money for their grandson to go to college. And I was like, yeah, screw college a year and a half in, and I'm just gonna run and take the money. Prodigal son did. Wish I knew that that was a thing beforehand because I would have read it and been like, that's dumb, don't do that. Save the money, buy a house, do something smart with it. But no, I went and partied, traveled, did everything the world told me to do. It's a go, you know, go party your face off, you'll feel better. Didn't feel better. Uh, go buy a nice car and you'll feel better about yourself, feel like a man, did that, didn't feel it. I spent this $100,000 in a year and a half, blew everything I had. And then at the, like my most broken version of myself, I got an invite to Awaken Church. And then my life was, I got saved. My life was totally transformed. But eight years ago, eight being new beginnings, was when I gave my life to Jesus. And I thought if there's one thing, like I know God could restore this, he could restore my you know my health he could restore my emotional health he could restore my he could restore all these things but can he really restore the thing that I jacked up the most and was the most ashamed about and didn't even want to tell people how bad I messed up financially and yet he has done so two houses later what God has done in my life because we gave him our life we gave him our trust we tithe, we give the Vision Builders, and, and God was able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or imagine. And so being that we are you know a month out from Vision Builders, I have been preaching this message, not this message, because you guys are getting a new one, um, but I've been preaching this message called The Climb, and I preached it in a couple places, and I was gonna preach it here until this week. God's like, no, you're not preaching that. I'm like, God, I already have it done. I'm on vacation. I'd like to just be on vacation and not message prep. And, uh, and so I kind of honestly just didn't, didn't listen. And then Thursday night comes, and God's like, I really have something for you. And we're driving back, and so I get this whole download. And I think it's just for you guys. I don't even know if I'm ever going to preach this again. But, I, but I, I think it's, yeah, I'm excited to preach it. But with that said, I did want to still share the Vision Builders testimony because I know a lot of us are wrapping up our Vision Builders. Um, I know some of us, maybe you could take the picture down, although that is my beautiful wife, Tanae, and my beautiful daughter, Brielle. Um, she loved your guys' kids' church, by the way. She had a really good time at the 9 a.m. And, and so I wanna share this because it encouraged me, it really helped me in my faith this year, but I think it'll help some other people. And so all that to say, you know, we come into January, how many love our vision cards, right? Vision cards we do as a church, super cool, write your dreams, everything you want, all the cool stuff. So I wrote that down, you know, my wife and I wrote down, we want a house, we want to be four bedrooms. Like we got together, we, you know, wrote everything out because I think it's good for, to be specific. Because then when you walk into it, you're like, wow, this was God, 100%. And so we wrote it down, and in my mind, I'm, like, looking at our finances, I'm looking at my business P&L, I'm looking at everything, I'm like, yeah, I think June, July would work out great. I would have enough savings, I'd this, this would be fine, and I think June, July would be great. And uh, I don't know if God just missed that or didn't get the message, whatever. I'm, you know, it's January, January. Wow. Like, two weeks after I felt the vision card, maybe a week, we're in, you know, a meeting with Dr. Matt and Pastor Michael, our campus pastors and friends, and, you know, they they send us a, a link to a Redfin thing, you know. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, where is this? And he's like, oh, it's around the corner from my house. I'm like, oh, that's cool, you know, Escondido, that's awesome. Never thought I'd want to live in Escondido, but, you know, it's all good. It has all the things. And then I look at the price tag. It's got one more zero than I wanted. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, it's, you know, I think that's out of our range anyway. I think, you know. I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I I'm, I'm want to do that. And it's going to be gone by the time June, July comes, when God knows I want to buy the house. So it's all good. But I'm like, what's the harm in going to look at it, right? I'm not committed to purchase it, so I thought. And then, you know, we go to the house the next day, love it. Of course, my wife loves it. My daughter's running around everywhere. And we really feel like God's like, this is your house. Like, this, this is your house. And, uh, and so I'm like, well, it's going to take like 20 miracles to get in it. So why not take a swing at it? And then the next day, it goes in escrow with somebody else. And at first, I'm like, you know, totally relieved, to be completely honest with you. I'm like, thank God, like that was gonna be a lift, and I don't know if I wanted to do that in January. Thank you God. Um, But then, you know, after the like kind of relief wears off, I'm kind of angry because I like really felt I heard from God, and I really felt like God said, "This is your house." And so we do what any you know awakened believer who ties and commits vision builders does. You you curse the contract. You curse the offer. (laughs) Say God. If this, is, if this person is not a believer, I curse that contract. I command it to fall out of escrow. However, I bless the buyer and thank you that you're gonna get them something even better, something they actually want, all the things. And so we pray that. That's how we got Beho. if you didn't know that. That's how, you know, a lot of, there, there's a lot of stories of that, actually. And, uh, so we did that, and then, lo and behold, um, you know, we're still waiting. Nothing changes. Nothing changes. So today and I get together, and we pray, and we're like, God, is there anything blocking the way? Like, why are we not? We really feel like this is meant to be our house. And our agent was saying, this house is not falling. Like, it, it could fall out of escrow, but it's really likely not because it's a 1031 buyer, which means they're pretty much locked in. As long as they want it, they can have it. And so I'm like, I think this is our house. And so we get together, and we felt like, you know, God, is there anything in the way? And immediately, God's like, yeah. Um, remember last year's Vision Builders? We're like, yeah, finish it, right? He's like, look again. We were five grand short. And I was like, oh, shoot. So we gave that immediately, and we're like, and it was difficult. We're like, we want to buy a house. You save money. You don't give money, right? At least the world says that. And so we finished our Vision Builders, because I believe there's power in finishing something. And so we finished, and then literally within a couple days, the thing falls out of escrow. The guy pulls out his contract, and then they say, hey, you're the backup. What do you want to do? So we put in an offer, 15-day close, below, we were at below the mark, about below all the stuff, and, uh, and then through a number of different miracles, and one of which was within three days of closing, we needed a certain amount of cash to close. We got a check, and it was, it was getting really crazy. Like I said, I think there were about 10 to 12 legitimate miracles that happened in that 15 days, very stressful 15 days. But literally within three days, we went to the mailbox, and there was a check, I kid you not, mailbox money, like legit a check for the amount within $30 of the money that we sowed to finish our vision builders a month beforehand. So we closed on our house uh, on March 2nd on my birthday, my 30th birthday. And I say that to encourage some of us that maybe we've been thinking about finishing our vision builders. Maybe we've been hesitant to, maybe we haven't even started yet. And we're like, well, I'm already behind. I'll just wait for next year. I believe there's power in putting seed in the ground. I believe that God says, he will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, so shall he reap. And so for those of us that are believing for miracles, for those of us who don't want to participate in the world's economy, which would be everybody, like when I'm on Instagram and I see people posting about the recession and saying all this stuff, I just check out. Because why? Because I tithe. I have an open heaven over my life. I have a God who rebukes the devour on my behalf and I live in a 30, 60, 100 fold return economy. Why? Because the Bible says anything we leave behind in this life God will return 30, 60, 100-fold in this life and the next. So I choose to participate in that economy. So for those of us that want to see that kind of breakthrough, whether it's a home, whether it's financial provision, whatever it is, and that believe that God is – and I'm not asking you to give something that God hasn't told you to give. I'm a firm believer that God speaks to every single person and that he will tell you what to give. Now, I believe the 10%, the tithe, that's kind of a non-debate. That's like he says – tithe literally means tenth, so it's not 8% just to say – And, uh, but I do believe that in terms of offerings, God will give you a number and whether big or small, it doesn't matter in terms of scale, what matters in terms of obedience. So for those that want a breakthrough, I know this is kind of random in the message, but I don't believe it's random. I believe people are going to receive breakthrough as they become, as they step into obedience today, just like I did. I want you to lift your hand so I can pray with you. If there's anybody in here who's like, I want to step into breakthrough. I want to see God do miracles. I want to believe God. I'm going to sow a seed. I'm going to do something. Father, I thank you for every hand lifted. Father, I thank you for the strength and the courage to be obedient. Father, I thank you that there is nothing like, your, your word says that you actually love obedience more than you love sacrifice. So, Father, I thank you for 30, 60, 100 fold returns for every believer with their hands raised, exceedingly abundantly above all they could ask, think, or imagine as they step out today in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Proud of y'all. Make sure to step out today. Make sure to do what God tells you to do. And I promise you will see a harvest on the other side. So, with that said, we're going to get into the message. So uh, that was kind of point three, but it was just up front. So you're going to get two points today. We're in a new series called Truth Bombs, Biblical Answers to Burning Questions. Biblical Answers to Burning Questions. This is critical. This is important because if we as Christians, as believers who serve the living God, don't have the answers to the questions that the world looks for, who has them? Who has them? Nobody has them. CNN doesn't have them. Instagram doesn't have them. TikTok doesn't have them. Tony Robbins doesn't have them. Only this has them. Only this has them. And I can say that because I walked on hot coals at a Tony Robbins conference, and it didn't really help. (laughs) But I didn't burn my feet, which was kind of crazy because they said that wouldn't happen. I was like, wow, that's wild. But besides the point, the Bible has the questions that people are looking for. And so if we don't, as a church, know the answers to these questions, then What are we really, you know, for the most part, what do we get for? We have to be people that know what God says about the critical questions that people ask. And I didn't really have this growing up. I grew up in Catholic Mass and Jewish synagogue. Very confusing, I understand. Uh, Not as confusing for you as it was for me. Imagine that, right? So, Catholic Mass I would go to on Sundays. Synagogue I would go to on Fridays. And then when I started training for my bar mitzvah, uh, I would go to Hebrew school on Wednesdays. Yeah, it's been insane. And so a bit of conflicting views, right? But the main point was, I didn't think they had the question, or the answers to the questions I was looking for, because I had human questions, right? And so I would go to Catholic Mass on a Sunday, fall asleep within about 15 minutes, so they might have had the answers. I don't know. If anybody else has stayed awake the entire time, please let me know. But I looked up when I woke up, and I saw a figurine of Jesus, and he looked to be dead, and there was no life in the room, and nobody seemed to have any answers, and everybody seemed to kind of just be rehearsing the same thing. So I thought, well, I don't think there's any life here. God must not be real or he must be you know, asleep or just doesn't care. And so then I would go to synagogue and they would basically say, oh, Jesus? Yeah, he's, uh, yeah, doesn't really matter. Uh, we're chosen people. We're going to heaven. It's going to be fine. And so I didn't really have a lot of help. And then when I was nine years old, my dad died of a sudden heart attack. And I was in the house and it was pretty traumatic. And uh, basically I saw him collapse on the floor. My mom was screaming, trying to do CPR, couldn't save him. I was trying to comfort my sister. And so I'm at nine years old thinking there's no way that God is good or real to allow someone to experience something like that. And so I spent the rest of my life thinking God doesn't have the answers, the world must. And so I tried every possible answer that the world had to offer, whether it was drugs, whether it was alcohol, whether it was partying, whether it was finding significance and achievement and business and all these things, and none of it had it, none of it had it. And then lo and behold, I get invited to Awaken Church when I'm 21, 22 years old and find that the answer was in the house of God the entire time. And it was in the gospel of Jesus that God so loved us that he sent Jesus to die that we might have eternal life in him if we believe in him. And so one of the questions that I was very thankful to have answered when I came to church was if God is good and real, then why do bad things happen? So that's gonna be the first question I answer. And then the second question, wait, 21 minutes, it's gonna be really, really, really great. And then the second question uh, you'll see in a second. So the first question, the, the good news is it's very simple. God designed Eve, or Eden, right? It was the initial kind of earth and he designed it to be perfect, right? There was no sickness, there was no disease, there was, there was no bad, like nothing bad happened, right? The Raiders won the Super Bowl every year, right? Yeah, yeah, I got a couple. I knew there would be a couple cheers. Come on, every time, just one or two. Um, And and so the reality was perfection. But then humanity, Adam and Eve, took a hold of that perfection and questioned if God actually had the best for them. Because the serpent came, devil came and questioned, hey, has God really said? Don't you know that you'll be just like him? In other words, God's holding out on you. You should, you should just take this for yourself. Anytime I found my life starts to go into dysfunction is because I have reached out, thinking God is withholding from me, and then reached out on myself to try and solve it, and then realize, wow, God actually had my best the entire time. I should have just trusted him. And so there is, God's perfect will is not death. God's perfect will is not disease. God's perfect will is not divorce. God's perfect will is not anything bad you can think of. None of it comes from God. None of it's manufactured in heaven. It is all because of a devil that wants to kill, steal, and destroy your life. And because humans, God made us humans to have a will of our own. Why? Because he didn't want robots. He didn't want an Adam and an Eve that even if they wanted to choose the apple, they couldn't because they were robots. He wanted people that could actually choose him because they wanted him because he's a father. He wanted a relationship with his kids. And so that's the opportunity we get on this side of eternity is to choose him, to choose his way, to choose his will. And when we do that, things actually go right for us. And, uh, and it, I, like, if, you can, if you ever wonder like, okay, what's God's perfect will? Jesus taught the disciples to pray, our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So ask what's in heaven? That's what God's perfect will is here on earth. And we can pray and believe for that to happen. Now, ultimately, even if we choose to do crazy things, God's will is sovereign. And he's ultimately going to work out everything to our good. He's going to ultimately work out, you know, the plans that he has. Now, they're bigger than, I wouldn't even try and think about that, to be honest with you, because it's so big and so, that only he really knows and understands. But God's first design was for our lives to be perfect, for our lives to be heavenly. And he had to send Jesus to redeem all that. And when Jesus came, he actually basically implemented Romans 8.28. Does anybody know what that says? It says, God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. In other words, anything that is broken, anything that is not perfect, anything that is not heavenly, if I give that to God, he is actually going to work it together for my good. Not my like, net zero, my benefit, my profit is actually what the word means. So God is going to make it beneficial for you when you give him stuff that is broken. And it's almost like a mosaic. I was thinking about this on the drive over. Uh, a mosaic art piece is made up of a bunch of fragments of broken glass, right, or different materials. Now, God's initial design for humanity in our lives was not a mosaic, it was actually a perfect, stainless, you know, it, it, was, it, was, it was like the most beautiful, pure, seamless, no issues, no cracks, beautiful picture. Then, you bit that kid at the playground when you were three. And everything started to spiral after that. No, I'm just kidding. Whatever happens, sin got involved because of the earth that has fallen. It's nobody's choice. And we begin to sin, or sin begins to happen to us, and our lives begin breaking and fragmenting and By the time, you know, you're any age, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, you're at a place where you've got a bunch of broken pieces, and if you don't give that to God, he can't work anything together for good. And so I found by the time I was 21, 22, I had a million broken pieces of glass, a lot of my doing, some that was not my doing, and yet instead of cursing God, instead of saying, God, this is your fault, instead of saying, I I just started to pick up the pieces and said, God, can you do anything with this? And I found that he can actually do a lot with a very little, especially on my side. And so that's what I began to do, and see that he was able to work all things together for good. So the question that I'm going to be answering today, I'll tell you the title of the message, and I actually switched it so it's not going to be what you see up here, is the master mosaicist. And mosaicist is actually a word. You can Google that. And uh, it's, it's actually what a person who does mosaics, it's what, it's what they do. The master mosaicist. So the question we're going to be answering today is, so how do we respond to suffering in a way that pleases God. How do we respond to pain or suffering in a way that pleases God? So the first point is live surrendered. Live surrendered. I found the best way to respond to suffering and pain is to try and prevent it as much as possible uh, by building your life on solid ground that doesn't break as much. Does that sound like a good idea? Let's, let's build a less breakable life, uh, at least on the side that we can control. And there's some scriptures back I uh, Matthew 7, 24 to 27 is when Jesus is actually talking to the disciples, he's talking to people, he's saying, hey, like a wise person is like him who takes these sayings of mine, takes my word and builds his life on, actually does it, actually activates my word and is obedient. And when he does that, he builds a sure foundation. He builds a solid foundation for his house. So when the rains come, when the floods come, when the wind blows, it won't fall down, right? That's a good thing. Or you can be like the person who hears the sayings of mine, but doesn't do them, build your life on something else, and it's like sand, and when the floods come and the winds come and all this stuff, it'll blow over and break. So, less breaking means be obedient and live in God, right? Ecclesiastes 4.10 says this, it says, "'For if they fall, one will lift up his companion, "'but woe to him who is alone when he falls, "'for he has no one to help him up.'" You're not meant to do life alone. Do it with people, do it with the church. Psalms 46, one to three says, "'God is our refuge and strength, "'a very present help in trouble.'" Therefore we will not fear even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. God is your refuge. Proverbs 3, 5, 6, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding and in all of your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. So what does this sure-founded life look like? It looks like three things. A connected life, it looks like an obedient life, and it looks like a life that is fast to repent. You see, being connected to God and being connected to the church is not, there's not, not, it's not like an option. It's not like you go to In-N-Out and you're like, I'll take the one or the two or the three. No, it's like, I am a Christian. Therefore, I have vertical connection with God the Father. I have horizontal connection with His church. That is my life. The Bible says in Psalm 92:13, those who are planted in the house of God shall flourish in the courts of their God. My life is a testimony of that. Anybody here that is planted, meaning they are, you know, at prayer meetings, meaning they're tithing, meaning they're in relationship, in connect groups, they're doing life in community and they have a daily devotion with God, they're reading their Bible, right? They're praying to God. I guarantee you their life is flourishing more than it's not because the Bible says that that would be so. Once you are connected to God and connected to the community, the second thing we need to learn how to do is become obedient. Obedience, really simple. Um, you know, Pastor Young E. Cho, who is the pastor of the largest church in the world, Um, in South Korea, I think it was like a million people or something like that, something crazy. Uh, God bless you. And uh, there was a ton of people. And pastors from all the world would come and ask him, what's your strategy? How do you do this? Is it your connect groups? Is it this? Is it that? He's like, okay, you ready for this? He's like, pray and obey. They're like, okay, stop playing with us. Like, what, what is it really? Like, he's like, pray and obey. But you can't obey if you don't pray. Now, there's a lot of people who try and obey without praying, and that's called religion. And that actually is not helpful, that is not healthy, and that is not God's best for you. God wants you to first pray, have connection with him, and then obey, do what he says to do. And I'm not going to tell you what obedience looks like, because it looks different for everybody. Now, there's general will that God has, general obedience, like, don't kill somebody, like, It's in his will. Like, don't do that, right? There's a lot of things that God declares in his word. It's called his declarative will. You can read in his word. He says to do this or not do this. You don't have to ask questions about that. Like, oh, should I move in and sleep with my girlfriend? No. No. Bible says not to do that. I was convicted of that when I got here. I was connected to God. I heard from him. I read in his word. I didn't have to have a million people tell me it was wrong or get a, you know, Ramo word. Like, I, I read it, and I'm like, oh, now I feel like the Bible's reading me. I shouldn't do that. I need to not do this. So I stopped doing that because I wanted to be obedient. Because obedience leads to breakthrough you can't get otherwise. Once you're connected and obedient— The next thing, because ultimately we all slip, ultimately there's always going to be, the Bible says we all fall short of the glory of God. We need to learn how to repent and repent fast. And if you're connected and obedient, you won't have repentance as your full-time job. And that's a healthy thing. (laughs) Repentance should be a natural response of a surrendered believer when we miss the mark. That's really it. So embrace conviction and guilt, which is the Holy Spirit kind of nudging you, and then reject shame and condemnation. Shame and condemnation says you are wrong, you are bad, you are not worthy, you are not loved, you are not good enough. Don't listen to any of that. Shove that and tell the devil to shove it back where it came from. But embrace conviction and guilt, which is Holy Spirit saying, this is wrong. Hey, do this. Hey, I asked you, like, embrace that because, like, I literally had that happen today. I've been putting off something that I wanted to ignore was God for the last two weeks because it was inconvenient and kind of, uh, you know, honestly, a bit like, oh, my God, I don't, I don't think I can do that right now. And then God's like, hey, you, you need to do this. And you you kind of know it's God, but until sometimes you just have to take a step and believe that it's him. And I did it, and immediately peace came. And some of us are thinking, oh, well, just because if I'm stressed, that's not from God. That God doesn't want me stressed. Okay, well, ask King Saul, who God sent a distressing spirit to. Right. Explain that, you know, like. Yeah. God will nudge us in different ways. And if you've been agitated at ever times by the Holy Ghost trying to nudge you, you know what I'm talking about. But it's just better to be obedient. And then when we don't, just repent. Say, God, I'm sorry, I messed up. And then change your mind through the renewing of your mind with God's word and then through discipline. There's gonna be some things you have to do both. You can't just speak God's word I am pure, I am pure, I am pure, you're going to have to delete the browser, you're going to have to turn off the thing, you're going to have to tell people to hold you accountable, you're going to have to do some things in the discipline side of things if you really want to see your mind changed. And, you know, living surrendered and living with the sure ground was something that I obviously knew I needed to do as a believer and that I wanted to do. But it had to be something intentional that I chose to do, and I made a lifestyle. And I remember, uh, you know, I was praying pretty consistently. I was reading my Bible pretty consistently, you know, a year, two years in to being a Christian. And then, uh, you know, I wanted, I wanted God to do all this stuff in my life, in ministry, in business, and I had all these big dreams. But I wanted some clarity around business, what I, what I felt like, you know, I wanted God to show me what I was going to do in business. So I went down to an altar call, you know, at the end of service, which is a good thing. You should do that. And then I found Pastor Colin, who was the business pastor. You know, he was like the Pathfinder guy. I'm like, oh, he's praying for me. Like, I want to get that. And so I go up to him, and I'm like, ready. I'm like, all right, here we go. I'm going to get some sweet vision of business and all this stuff. And then I tell him, Pastor Colin, can you pray for business, like vision for my business? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. And then he starts praying, and then he says, Alex, I'm not going to pray. And he knew that I was both, you know, in ministry and marketplace, like, pretty heavily. And so he's like, Alex, I'm not going to pray for you to be the best pastor that you can be. I'm like, okay, that's fine. And then I was like, just hoping, okay, the business thing. He's like, Alex, I'm not gonna pray for you to be this boss business dude. I'm like, okay, that's kind of annoying. Like I asked you to pray for that. <laughs> I didn't say that, obviously. <laughs> a little intimidated. I just was like in my head, very conflicted. He said, Alex, I'm gonna pray for you to become a man of prayer, a man of devotion, a man that's connected to God. And I honestly was not that excited about that at the time. But he explained to me, Because that's not sexy, that's not like, yeah, like this vision, like it's like go do the work, like become a man of prayer. But he said, Alex, I couldn't have the life I had, and he has a pretty wild like what God's doing in his life in Boise and Pathfinders and business, like extremely carrying a lot of significant weight. And he said, I couldn't do what I do if I didn't become the man of prayer, become the man of God. And so he spends about 90 minutes in prayer and devotion almost every morning. And I was like, well, I'm not there yet, but I will commit to growing. I was doing about maybe like, you know, 15. Like I said, I was pretty inconsistent, but I said, I'm going to start with 30 minutes a day. And I'm going to start with that like four days a week. And I started with that. And what God has built on my life on top of that is astronomical, is bigger than I could ask, think, or imagine. Because I didn't just want the stuff. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to. If you want the adding, you've got to seek first the kingdom. And so the second point, as we come to a close today, is... Once we fortified our lives from the storms, because you should build it to be as unbreakable as possible, there will be moments when, whether it's your doing or somebody else's, stuff starts to break, and you've got to know what to do when that happens. And so the second point is learn to rest in the unknown, because there are moments in our lives when we do everything possible. We tithe, we give, we serve, we show up, we do connect groups, we do, we do all the things, right? We listen to God, we obey, we repent, we do all the things, and yet still something breaks. And that could be a loss in business, that could be you know, a, a marriage you know, on the brink, it could be a kid off the rails, it could be someone literally dying in your family, it could be a number of things, but stuff that's in your control, some stuff that's out of your control, but we have to know what to do when these things happen. It's in these moments that our faith is tested. And honestly, it's an opportunity we don't get in heaven to worship God, to trust him, even when our circumstances aren't heavenly. Because the Bible says in Revelation 21, four, which I'm not gonna put up right now, that God wipes every tear away. There won't be any crying, there won't be any sorrow, there won't be any death, that it's a perfect place. So in the meantime, how do we trust God when things aren't perfect? James one, two to four says this, my brethren, my homies, my peeps, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. It sounds like a cuss word. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Romans 5, 3 to 5 says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulation. Just FYI, different writers here, different writers. Like, because if it was just one guy saying we should love suffering, like you kick that guy out. You take the pen out and don't <laughs> let him write anymore. But it's multiple people, so we can't do that. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance, character and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So there are four things that we can do when we don't understand, when we don't know what to do with the suffering or the pain that we didn't cause and just happened to us. The first is push and give God all the pieces at the same time. We're not a church that believes that stuff just happens to us and you have no you know, ability to change things. We believe that God has given us agency through his authority in the name of Jesus by praying. And so that's why we believe in push. Pray until something happens. If you have not read Pastor Jurgens' book, push, you need to read it. Why? Because you need to understand why we pray for our pastors, why we pray for our city, why we pray for people who are sick. Whether what, like We know that ultimately it's God who does the healing, but we will pray like it's our responsibility. We will know that ultimately God is going to be the one that exalts and that like, he does all the things, but we have a will that if we would say, God, not our will, but your will be done, if we err on that side of pushing we can see miracles happen in our life. And not just default to, oh, it must be God's will. And, and so there's that, but then at the same time, we've got to give him the outcome. We've got to say, God, while I'm pushing, ultimately I give you this outcome. I trust you with whatever happens on the other side. And it's a dichotomy that we have to live in. But it's something that is one of the healthiest things that we can do. I remember when uh, you know, we, had, we were first trying to buy our first house, and it was, this was like five years ago. And you know we're giving a vision, we're doing all the things. And you know, we went and we're like, all right, we want this condo you know, in Del Mar. And so we went into escrow on it. And it ended up, we had to pull out escrow because the funds didn't come in and stuff didn't happen. And we felt like we heard from God and all this stuff, but we had to pull out. And it was so embarrassing, it was so awkward. And it was like, God, I thought we heard from you, but we gave him the, so we pushed the whole time, but then ultimately we trusted him with the outcome and said, God, I'm embarrassed right now, but you're gonna have to work this out together for our good. And God used that to prepare us better because we weren't as stable financially as I thought we were. And if we had gotten that place when we wanted it, we might not still have it today. I believe God's able to do incredible things, but at the same time, we have some responsibilities we got to take care of, and I had to take care of some responsibilities. And so I'm thankful. I didn't see it at the time, but I'm thankful because I gave him the outcome and I said, God, I'm going to give you these broken pieces. And then he worked it out together where in two years we bought two properties and you know, I don't know if that would have happened if I didn't just trust him with that. outcome, and say, I'll go again. The second thing we need to do is set joy before us. Hebrews 12, 2 says this. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, Jesus set joy before him to go through the most painful suffering that we could ever know possible. He set joy before him. And no, it wasn't a smiling face. It wasn't, you know, just like, oh, I can't wait to get to heaven so I can have a McFlurry. Like it wasn't, it wasn't just some random, ethereal thing. The Bible says he set joy before him. And if we read another thing that Jesus talked about, which is the story of the talents, the master comes into, you know, parable. He gives, you know, th- three sets of talents to people. And the ones that do well with it, the ones that do what they were supposed to do, the ones that complete the mission that the master, a.k.a. God, gave them to do, much like the mission Jesus was sent on. When they completed the mission, they gave it back to God. They said, God, this is what I've done for you with the thing you asked me to do. And the master says, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. Enter into the joy of your master. You've done what you came to do. And I feel like what Hebrews 2, 12, 2 is talking about is Jesus set the joy of the master in front of him. He set the joy. I'm going to go through this because I can see God saying at the other side of this, well done, good and faithful son. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've done what I asked you to do. Enter into my joy. And I found, the Bible says also, that the joy of the Lord is our strength. I wonder if it's not just happiness is our strength. I wonder if it's looking and fixing our eyes, not on things beneath, but on things above. Looking at Jesus, knowing if I, can, if I can persevere, if I can do the thing God asked me to do, whether it's painful, whether it's difficult, if I can still worship him and still trust him, if I can get to the other side, I will enter in to the joy of my master if we can keep our eyes fixed on things above. Romans 8.18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us. The third thing we need to do is clean our filter. It's a really dangerous thing, and this is, I think, one of the devil's most nasty tricks, is get us to experience suffering and pain so that we'll change our theology and change who we think God is. You see, God has a declared, revealed version of himself. You can't really know anybody outside of two things. Number one, what God you know, or what they say about themselves, right? And then what you see of themselves. And God has a revealed version. He, this, he says, this is who I am. I am healer. I am provider. I am salvation. I am life. I am hope, right? I, I am, he has a ton of I ams. You can go look them up. The danger is when we experience life and we don't feel that our life circumstances measure up to one of those, Our tendency or a difficulty or a challenge can be or a really dangerous thing can be when we say, okay, God's not this, he's that. And I remember when I was an intern, you know, we had one of our fellow interns. He texted in to a bunch of the guys and he said, hey, my brother's just got in a terrible car accident. Can someone come and pray? And I said, you know, I want to go pray. I want to go see God do a miracle. I want to see God do a I've heard of all these times that God's healed in this church. I've heard of all this. I want to go see it for myself. And so I got in the car. I grabbed somebody else. We went up to pray for him. We went in, literally believing that God was gonna, you know, fully heal him, fully raise him, like all the all the all the, all the stuff. And we leave, and he ended up passing away. And I remember being so upset, and for a while actually stopped praying for people for healing because I just I was so conflicted inside. I'm like, God, I, I feel discouraged. What if I do it again? And then I remember God t- saying to me, Alex, I don't change. There's things that you don't understand but I don't need you to change who you think I am. I am still healer. I am still, I am still who I say I am and I need you to act like it. And so since then I prayed for people and I've seen them healed. And so what we can't do, and the same thing with my condo, if I just thought, oh, well, you know, God's not one who provides, Houses, God's not one who blesses his kids. I wouldn't have two properties. I've had zero, I would have had zero if I stopped believing. I've got to keep my thermostat. If this is who God says he is. And until I experience that, I'm going to declare it, And then I'll really believe it, maybe in another level when I experience it, but I'm still going to believe it like my life depends on it. So if you've experienced something that you say, well, I don't know if, I don't know if God really is that because I haven't seen it, choose to change your filter. God is that regardless if you see it. And the last thing is we come to a close is when we don't understand or when stuff's not going our way or the broken pieces seem insurmountable, we worship anyway. Because once again, it's an opportunity we won't get in heaven. In heaven, it's going to be easy to worship. In heaven, it's going to be easy to praise. In heaven, it's going to be easy to see the glory of God. But to see it in difficulty, to see it in, in, in challenges, to see it even in death, how do, we, how do we worship anyway? We trust in the character of God. God is good. God is faithful. Job did it. He lost everything he lost his kids he lost his he lost everything like everything 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 he lost it all and then you know the devil struck him with sickness and then it was like and then and then and then but he said though he slay me I will still trust in him even if God killed him and he didn't even know if it was God doing it or not he said should we accept only good and not evil from God what a faith To not even know that God doesn't do evil. Of course God doesn't do evil. The devil does evil, but he didn't know that. He said, I will still trust in God even if he doesn't bring the healing, even if he doesn't restore. Can we have that kind of faith? David did it all the time. The heroes of the faith were not heroes because they worshiped only in good times. They were heroes because they worshiped when things didn't make sense. They worshiped and they trusted God, even when, and it doesn't mean you have to throw on a whole worship service, but it does mean in the pain of loss, I still will trust God. It doesn't have to look pretty. It doesn't have to even feel that great, but it's, I choose to praise you, God. I choose to worship you, Jesus. I choose to put my trust in you, even though this thing is not working, even though this thing hurts, even though this is painful. Can we believe, can we be those type of believers that do that? Pastor Bill Johnson, the pastor of Bethel Church, where they see a lot of miracles, they see a lot of incredible things happen, actually lost his wife to cancer. And it was about a year ago. And I remember it clearly because, you know, there was a lot of people praying for her and believing for her to be healed. And for someone that operates in so much, like in healing and miracles and all these things, for his wife not to be healed, like how do you reckon with that? And three days later after she passed, he was up there preaching. And he said two things that really messed me up. He said, the backslider in heart will always judge God by what he didn't do. But those who run with tenderness for who he is will always define him, God, by what he has said, what he has promised, and what he has done. He said, joy in the midst of loss, celebration in the midst of pain, in giving up the right to understand are priceless gifts to God. Joy in the midst of lost, celebration in the midst of pain, and giving up the right to understand are priceless gifts to God. Why? Because when we get to heaven, we'll understand. When we get to heaven, it'll be easy to celebrate. When it'll be get to heaven, it'll be easy to have joy. But having it here, that is what pleases God. So can we be the type of believers who trust God regardless of our ability to understand? So I'm gonna pray for a couple types of people real quick. And then at the end, the very end, the ministry team will be down here. And if, and if you need to come up and, and, and whether it's repent, whether it's trust God with something, whether it's God, I worship you, even though this is difficult, I want you to be able to come down at the end and receive some prayer. But everyone bow your heads, close your eyes real quick. I'm gonna pray as we close out. So the two types of people, first type of person, I wanna pray for, maybe you're like me, how I came eight years ago and didn't know God, didn't have a relationship with him, and then came to a service much like this and heard that God so loved me that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die on a cross, be raised three days later, and sit at the right hand of God, interceding on my behalf, so that I might have life and life abundantly here on earth and in heaven, eternal life with him, that if I just believe with my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is, Lord, that everything can change and that I can live in heaven for eternity, then I want to pray for you and I'm going to ask you to lift your hand in a moment. The second type of person is maybe you once walked with God, ran with God, you were, you know, a believer, but then you fell away, ran away, walked away, doesn't matter. The fact is you're here today and you're saying, I need to get right with God again. I need to be in right relationship with him. Friend, if that's you, on the count of three, I want you to lift your hand. If you're one of those two types of people, lift your hand so I know who I'm praying for. One, Beautiful, I already see hands. Two, I promise you'll never be the same. Three, if you could just lift your hand wherever you're at, just so I know who I'm praying for. Beautiful, I see that hand. Thank you, Jesus, I see that hand. If your heart's beating super fast, just lift your hand, because that's God wanting wanting to knock on the door of your heart. Thank you, Jesus, I see that hand. Beautiful, I see that hand. Beautiful. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, let's all stand to our feet real quick. There were a few people that, that lifted their hands, so we're going we're gonna to pray with them. And uh, all of us have done this in this room at some point or another. If you raised your hand, what I want you to do is say this with all of your heart, all of your strength, all of your might. Say this with everything in you because this is the moment that you're going to invite Jesus Christ, the living God, to come and live with you. Come into your heart. He's going to fill you with his life, with his strength, and you're going to begin to walk with him and you're going to see your life completely change. So everybody else, we're going to say this because we said it before. Let's all say this together. Dear Jesus, Jesus, thank you you. for what you did on the cross. cross. You took my sin, sin. you took death, death. and you gave me me eternal life. life. I choose choose to believe in you. I I make you my Savior and my Lord. Fill me with your spirit. I commit to walking with you, trusting in you, and worship you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 Come on, let's celebrate with those people that just raised their hands. We're so proud of you. This is an incredible day. Angels are parting. We have a team that has a Bible and a book called Following Jesus and a gift they want to give you, they want to pray with you. So if they come in up and approach you, just know that's what they're doing. Why don't you just lift your hands real quick. I want to pray for you and then I'm going to hand it over to Pastor Michael as we close. Father, I thank you. I thank you that your word says that we can be strong, that we can be filled with faith, that we can walk by your spirit, not by sight, but by faith here on earth. Father, I thank you that we would walk and trust in you with all of our heart, lean not on our own understanding and in all of our ways acknowledge you and you would make straight the path of every person in this room. Give us the strength to be obedient. Give us the strength to walk with you. Give us the purpose and the life and the vitality to do what you've called us to do. Father, I thank you that you would take every broken piece of our life as we surrender it to you and you would work it all together for their good. Father, you would work it all together for their good in Jesus' name. And everybody said...